Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I want you to go ahead and open your Bible to Psalm 108. Remember last week we were in all the way over in uh, Psalm 107? And uh, I was uh, reading in that area today, and I kept coming back to this. And I wasn't even sure for the longest time what it was that kept drawing me to it. Uh, But praise the Lord, he reveals things to me, reveals things to us, amen? And I want to start by reading the whole thing, and then we're going to kind of look at it backwards. I'll explain in a minute. Let's go ahead and begin in verse 1. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and and measure out the valley of Sukkot. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet uh, for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Over Philistia I will triumph. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. I'm going to start from the end here, because uh, it's the end that gives us the context of this psalm. David is the king. This is a psalm of David, and David is the king, and he is a popular king. He is a successful king. He's a godly king, and he's also famous. He's famous as a king. He's famous as a warrior, and he's famous as a songwriter or psalmist. And what he's talking about when he writes about going into these other lands and cities is not the typical power-hungry picture we have of ancient kings. I mean, if a king is in power and he's established, he's got a successful army, he's got a big army, well-equipped, it was, I mean, it was just the order of the day. You look around and say, what other lands are there to conquer? And this isn't what David is considering when he looks at Edom, when he looks at Philistia. He's not saying, hmm, can I take them too? Lord, will you give them to me? It's not that at all. What he's looking at is land that God had said many years ago, hundreds of years ago, belonged to him, belonged to to Israel, to God's people. Uh, Some of it is already manifestly his. Uh, But remember, I don't know how well you remember, and I don't even remember how much we dwelt on it, but if you go back to Joshua, or even going back to Abraham, I mean, he, I don't think he spelled out the boundaries back then in Genesis, but, but, but when he told Abraham, you walk to and fro, everywhere your foot touches, this is the land I'm going to give to you and your descendants. Uh, and then by the time, uh, hundreds of years later, 
when Joshua leads the children of Israel after the ministry of Moses into the land of promise, God tells them where to go. He says, here's the land I'm going to give you. It's going to stretch from this river to this river, from this mountain range to that mountain range. It's all yours. But I'm going to give it to you little by little. Do you remember that? There were two reasons he said he wasn't going to give it to them all at once. God, being God, could have struck every inhabitant of that land dead on the spot. He could have just rushed them through there. But he said, no, uh, I'm going to give you that land as you, as you enter into it. That's when I'll drive out the enemies uh, for two reasons. As long as your enemies are still there, they're going to maintain it. They're going to keep the weeds down. They're going to keep cultivating the crops. They're going to keep the houses clean, and they're going to keep the wild animals away. If I drive them out before you get there, because it's a big land, plentiful land, uh, then the wild animals will come in, the weeds will take over. So I'm just going to keep them there to tend it for you. The other reason was this. Do you remember? I don't want you to forget how to make war. There, there, there are some among you who haven't battled yet, and I always want there to be a battle. I'm going to give you the victory but you're still going to fight. And so the enemies are going to be there for you to fight. Fascinating passage in Judges. Anyway, uh, so, but he tells them, he spells it out, here's where your land is, and then, I mean, it gets, it gets a little uh, boring, really, in Joshua when, when they start saying this tribe gets this much land. This tribe gets, and it tells where the acreage is, it tells where the boundaries is, and then north of them is this tribe and, and, and gives it to them uh, the, 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 by lot, tells them where each tribe is going to dwell in the land of promise. So the bottom line is, this was all 350, maybe 400 years, probably around 350 years before David is on the scene. Uh, And in all that time, they had still not inhabited all that land. They had come, they'd gone into some of it, but do you remember what happened? I mean, it's a long time. You know, we read it in a book of, of, you know, uh, you know, 30 chapters here, 20 chapters there, you know, a story here, a story there. Uh, we read about a whole lifetime of one judge or another in a couple chapters, and we kind of forget uh, that all this is taking place over, over a length of time that is longer than the United States of America has been around. So a lot of history is taking place, and during that time, what happens? They lose their zeal again and again. They fall into that cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, and deliverance again and again. And God has to continue to raise up these judges. And so rather than, so we say it took 300 years, took 350 years. Why did it take so long? It wasn't supposed to. They weren't supposed to continue to fall into sin. They were supposed to progressively enter the land, inhabit it, conquer it, and live uh, victoriously. But they didn't. They didn't because they forgot their God. So it was like one step forward, two steps back. And then they had a great king, David, who began to push into these boundaries. He didn't, he didn't like, well, it's been 300 years, forget it. No, it's like, these are the lands God has promised us. We are going to inhabit them. And this is what he's pushing toward when he talks about these other lands. Look at this. Some of this is already manifest. When we look in verse 8, uh, Psalm 108, verse 8, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the helmet for my head, Judah is my lawgiver. He's talking about lands that they have already successfully inhabited, conquered, driven the enemies out of. But then the next verse in verse 9 says, Moab is my wash pot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Over Philistia I will triumph. He's talking here about lands that there is still enemy uh, controlling. 
Now, before I go any further, there's a, there's a few things I want to say about that, but I already, uh, usually a lot of times I'll save my application till the very end, but already I want to make an application that I hope you have already seen coming. And that is this. Are, are there areas of your life that are still inhabited by enemies? Sickness, lack, distress, depression. Are these things that God has willed for you? Are you convinced that these are things that God says you should drive out, and yet you have not been able to manifestly conquer them in your life? Take it a step further. What about the sins and the weights that beset us? Do you find yourself returning to particular sins like a dog to its vomit? And you know these things shouldn't be so. But they are. Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course you do. Of course you do. So the first question we ask is this. What has God said? What has he said about you? What has he said about your enemies? What has he said about any aspect of your life that is not already manifestly saved and redeemed? Because that's what you base your prayers on what God has said. And we could, I could go off on a tangent here and talk about the, the I guess, the, the futility of taking the attitude the, or adopting the theology that everything I experience, everything that I experience, I'm experiencing because God has ordained it. Uh, it's, it, there's so many holes in that. It, it's so hard for me to get my head around. It's hard for me to get, uh, t- to comprehend. And there are people that I know and I love who really, who have embraced this, what, what I call a hard Calvinistic, uh, position. Uh, but where, where I always come up against it is if that's really the way it is, if everything I'm going through, I'm going through because God has somehow in the, in the mysterious, inscrutable counsel of his will ordained it. Somewhere along the line, that means he has ordained sin. Because many of the things that I come up against, I'm coming up against because of my sin. I'm coming up against because of your sin or somebody else's sin. The evil in this world and the destruction and the, and the, 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 everything that's negative, everything that's bad in this world is bad because of sin. And God, we know, has not ordained sin, right? So, uh, the fact is... The things that we are dealing with, certainly God has allowed, and I think what this always comes back to is, I've said this before, but I believe it's been a long time, so I'll say it again. Uh, I'll say it again, even if it hasn't been a long time. There are people who say that um, uh, when, when, we, when we talk in terms of man's authority, the authority of the believer, a lot of times people, they, they interpret that as uh, somehow denigrating the sovereignty of God, bringing God down to a lower level, making God smaller. And I don't think that's it at all. Uh, I'll, I'll put it this way as I have before. God, in his sovereignty, has determined to invest a lot of his authority in man. That's an act of his sovereign will. We didn't wrest that from him. He gave it to us. You understand? Uh, but what I started to say was this. I feel that people who look at it that way, what they do is take an unscripturally low view of man. They don't recognize just how high an order of creation mankind is. 
We are just a little below God. You understand? This is how he's created us. We are not God. All right? But he has created us. We are made in his image. And he has invested in us his authority. Okay? So we have an awful lot to say about how our lives turn out and the things we deal with. Uh, but it does not mean that we will never fight. doesn't mean there will, that, that there won't be enemies. And here's David, a man after God's own heart, who is wrestling what the, what the crux of this psalm is. If you really look at it is, there are places in, this, in what should be my kingdom that are not under my control. And I don't know why, and I want your help driving the enemy out. But his hope is, he knows because he knows Scripture. Uh, And by the way, speaking of Scripture, this whole psalm is lifted from two other psalms. Uh, The first half of it, I think, is lifted from Psalm 57. The second half is lifted from Psalm 60. Word for word. I'm not talking about the same ideas expressed. David, I love this, David is quoting Scripture that God used him to write. As he, com- as he combines them into this praise and this prayer. But David knows history. He knows the prophecies. He knows the law. And he knows what land is his. And so he's determined to take Edom, to take Moab, to take Philistia and inhabit it. But what's, a, what's disturbing is that apparently he's tried it once and they've failed. Uh, look at this in verse 10. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? And then verse 11. Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? David knows that the land that he's looking at and praying about and lamenting over the fact that they're not inhabiting is land that God has promised him, had promised Israel. And so he's tried, it looks like. We went in with our armies, but God didn't go with us because we didn't win. We didn't win the land. So what's the response? What do we do when we feel abandoned like that? When we can't make sense of what has happened so far, the response is this. We still trust the Lord. We still cling to his word. We're going to come back to something that will make that clear. But first I want you to look at this. In Psalm 131, one of the shortest chapters in the Bible. Psalm 131. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's all three verses. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Now you've got to understand, this also is a psalm of David. And there is such a huge chunk of information we have about God. There is so much that we know about the character of God that we know because of what David has written. David, 
with his time, the hours, the multiplied hours of meditation that he spent just hearing from God and letting God revealing to himself and uh, reveal himself to David and then David expressing everything that God has revealed about himself in the Psalms. We read about God's omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, right? We read about, there's so much about the very character of God that we know because of what David knew. David had a deep understanding of God's ways and his acts and his character and his attributes. But what he says here in Psalm 131 is, uh, I don't concern myself with great matters nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. In other words, I'm not even concerned right now. My faith is not in my great knowledge of God's character. What calms me, what gives me strength, what gives me peace is not my theological knowledge. And what I'm telling you, Israel, is just hope in the Lord. I can't. I'm not going to pretend, he says, to have an explanation, a profound explanation for everything we've been through. All I can tell you is this. For everything that I know, everything that I've experienced, everything that God has shown me, here's where I land. You can trust him. You can hope in him. There will be times, and this is one of the times that David is writing about in Psalm 108. There's times when we're not going to understand what we're going through. But you don't give up hope. You don't say, well, that didn't work. Guess I misunderstood God. I guess he just wants me to suffer. I guess I'm not supposed to succeed. I guess I'm supposed to wallow in defeat. I guess this is his lot for me. Can't can't wait till I die and go to heaven where at least there things will be good. No, hope in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his goodness. Know who he is. Don't sweat trying to explain every little thing. He is good, and you can hope in him and trust in him. Something else we need to think about, though, before we look at the first part of this psalm, which is where I really have been going all this time, is Isaiah chapter 59. And this is a great chapter. I encourage you to read the whole thing. If you haven't in a while, go back and and just read this one chapter. Just about exactly a page worth of scripture. But I'm only going to read a few verses tonight. In, cha- in, verse, in chapter 59 of Isaiah, verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Now that's a hard thing to hear. Now this Keep, it in, keep in mind the context here and the time frame, all right? This is Isaiah. And you remember, uh, you remember the pattern of the prophets? It's been, it's been several months now, but we spend a number of weeks reading through the major and minor prophets. And the pattern is very similar in most of them. Uh, God, through the prophet, makes his case kind of as the prosecuting attorney. I'm bringing these, charge against, these charges against you, Israel, and I'm asking you to defend yourself. Offer up your defense. Why have you done this? Why have you treated me this way? What have I done uh, that justifies you turning your back on me and committing these, uh, these sins, violating my law? And then God shows up in another part of the same prophecy, the same book, 
uh, and takes on the role of our defense, our advocate. And then, of course, he also fulfills the role of judge. (laughs) So he's the prosecutor, he's the defense, he's the judge in these books of prophecy. So here he is in Isaiah saying this. And it's like, well, the people, uh, and they know better, I think they know better, but they're praying, they're crying out to God. He's not answering them. And so maybe people wonder, just like they do today, well, maybe uh, if, if God is good, maybe he's not, he's not all-powerful. Or maybe he can hear, but he can't hear everybody at once. So he's not omnipresent, all right? He, can't hear me. he can hear, he's real, but he can't hear me. He can't hear everybody at once. He's, he's good, but he's not all-powerful. And Isaiah says, no, 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 no. His arm's not shortened. He hasn't lost any power. His ear is not heavy. It's not that he can't hear you. It's that your iniquities have cut you off from him. He can't hear your prayers. He won't hear your prayers because of your sin. And I think deep down they already knew that too. <laughs> now, the good news is, if we read here in the same chapter, Isaiah uh, chapter 59, in verse 16, it says this, he saw, speaking of God, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. And you go back and read the rest of this chapter. It's glorious because it's, it's talking about Jesus. There wasn't a man good enough or dedicated enough to stand in the gap for, for Israel, a sin for sinful Israel, and God knew there wouldn't be. But God's solution was not to damn mankind forever, but to enter into mankind and become the intercessor for mankind. He became the salvation that mankind needed because nobody else would stand in the gap. Nobody else could stand in the gap. So when we remember this, pay attention to this fact, that our love for sin can hinder our prayers. But... When we confess our sins and recognize that Christ has already dealt with them in terms of them being a barrier between us and God, then we can approach the throne of grace confidently and in faith. You catch that? We have to recognize that sin is still sin. And it's not, it's our sin nature has been dealt with at the cross, all right? So that's not, that's not a barrier anymore. But our love for sin, in other words, we will choose to sin rather than choose to follow God, rather than choose the devotional life. And it's our love and our returning to those things that will absolutely hinder our prayers. But when we recognize them and we are uh, man enough and woman enough to say, yeah, you know what, it is sin. It is sin. I know it's ugly, it's offensive. I repent I'm sorry, I want to lay this down, and I recognize that the only forgiveness, forgiveness that is available to me is available because of what God did through Jesus Christ at the cross. Then forgiveness belongs to us. That barrier, that barrier is removed, and the idea that we have sinned is, an, is, is uh, keeping us from God. That is a lie from the enemy. That is something that the devil will continue to tell you. God's not going to hear your prayer. He's not going to honor your prayer. He's not going to answer your prayer because you don't deserve it because you sinned. And God said, no, you confess that sin. It's under the blood. I remember it no more. You are, on, you are in right standing with me. You come and you come boldly, child. All right? Now, back to Psalm 108. What we have really read, what, what is at the heart of this, is a prayer. That is summed up in verse 12. Give us help from trouble 
for the help of man is useless. Through our God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. This is really the heart of David's prayer. What he's been working up to is we want to take this land. You've given it to us. We know we should be in it, but we've failed so far. And I know that the solution is not to seek help from man. There are examples of that in Scripture. Uh, And, of course, they come later on. But I'm thinking particularly of King Asa, who had won a mighty victory early in his reign. And then 25 years later, faced with another superior army, rather than entreat the Lord as he had 25 years before with all these glorious results, he hires another army that should have been somebody that God used him to wipe out. But he entreats the help of man. But David is smart enough, he's wise enough, and he's, and he's humble enough to recognize uh, that the help of man is useless if God is not on their side. And that is particularly, uh, do you realize what a faith-filled thing that is to say, having already failed to take this land once? It looks like, and I think David knows. He's saying, I'm writing this from, from man's perspective. We went in there with our armies and you didn't go with us. And yet I know the only way we're going to take that land is if you do go with us. Whether we go in with 100,000 men or a million men, if you don't go, we fail. It's only through our God that we will do valiantly. It's only our God who will tread down our enemies. Now, you may have failed in your struggles before. And I'm not saying don't, get, don't enlist the help of the brethren. I'm saying never leave God out of the picture. Because whatever other efforts you make to overcome sin in your life, to overcome sickness in your life, to overcome poverty or lack in your life, to overcome depression, to overcome worry and distress, you are wasting your time, you are spinning your wheels if you do not trust God in the center of that. Through your God, you will do valiantly in, against all of those enemies, in all of the lands, all of the areas of your life. That's good news. But it's also sobering because we are so quick. We have so many other resources and so many other directions to turn. But we've got to turn to God first in all of these things. So here he says, he has his prayer. We have his situation. But what I want you to see is how he starts this whole thing. Back to the beginning of the psalm, what does he say? I will sing and give praise. I will praise you among the peoples, among the nations. He's talking about among the world and not just his people. He's going to boldly sing and proclaim the praises of God. He's saying that your truth is the truth. You are God over it all, even if they don't believe or honor you. It's kind of like what Pastor Mike was talking about. Every... every, uh, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. But man, it's so much better to do it now. Every tongue is going to confess. Every knee is going to bow because he is the God. This is not a matter of, well, we're going to do well because we've chosen to worship our God. And I just, ah, just, you know, whatever God you choose to worship, I hope that works out well for you too. (laughs) That's not how it works. God's truth is the truth. And every knee will bow to our God. I just soon bow now. I just soon you bow now. And and your tongue confess. 
But what he says there basically is show your goodness to the world by being obviously or manifestly good to me. And that's a great prayer. It's a bold prayer. It might strike some people as selfish, but this is what David is praying. You be good to me so the world can see how good you are. And I know I'm going to benefit from it. And that's a great thing. But what it starts with is a determination to praise him. Praise and worship team, you can be making your way on up here. Even in the midst of trouble, in the midst of failure, frustration, depression, in the midst of defeat, when we boldly sing his praises, what we do is we stir ourselves up, we remind ourselves of how good he is, we remind ourselves of how worthy he is no matter what is happening. And it frees us to leave the fear and the worry behind. I remind you that David doesn't try to explain, doesn't try to figure out why they had so far been unable to conquer Moab or Edom or Philistia. He just says, our only hope is that you go with us. But it's all hanging on the promise that God has made. You know, we can look, and when we look at these, there, there are times, you know, I shared with you my, my, uh, my testimony of my back injury and, 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 the, and the darkness that I went through through that second episode. I didn't know why. I still don't know why it took so long the second time. Okay? And, there, and David is not, I don't think you can take what David says in Psalm 131 as he says, well, I'm not even going to study. I'm not going to try to bother to figure anything out. No, we're supposed to study his word, supposed to learn his ways, all right? And again, David is exhibit A of somebody who did meditate and knew the law, knew God's word. So he's not saying in Psalm 31, none of that stuff matters. He's simply saying, you've got your, your, your philosophical starting point is this, trust God. Trust God. He's good, Okay? Life isn't always going to make sense, but you can always cling to his promises. God, you didn't go with us the first time. I don't know why. I'm not worried. But what's going to get us in there now? You're going with us. What's going to help us take this land? You are. It's through you that we're going to do valiantly, and these lands are going to belong to us. I'm going to take back my satisfaction. I'm going to take back my peace. I'm going to take back my health. I'm going to take back my provision, my supply, everything that the enemy has stolen from me. It doesn't belong to him. I don't know why. I don't know why he's been having such victory in my life. Maybe you do know why. And if you do, repent of that. Straighten it out. But if you don't know why, don't sweat it. Just trust in God, hope in God, now and forever. Amen? Stand up with me. <laughs> and you know what's awesome to me? I read this stuff from Isaiah. I read this stuff from David, and it is so beautiful, and it is so right, and it was all under a covenant that is inferior to the covenant that you and I have with God. This stuff ought to be, we ought to be walking in greater victory greater strength, taking greater strides, and walking more and more in the complete manifestation of everything that he saved us from and everything that he saved us for. But we need to be speaking these things out. What we need to start with, you know, we, we, when we talk about polite phrases, what are the polite phrases we think of? I'm sorry, uh, please, and thank you. 
we need to probably start with the I'm sorry. If there's sin in our life, let's start with repentance. God, I want to get this out in the open. There's no sense trying to hide it from you. You know everything. You know more about it than I do. I'm not going to try to make excuses for it. I just want to confess it. I blew it. I blew it again. Thank you for the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness that that means I can have. And then, the next thing is not please. The next thing is thank you. The next thing is the praise, the worship. God, you are good. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being the God you are. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Why are you thanking him? Because he's made promises. And because you've seen what he's done in the past. He has been good to you. But you start with the praise. I will praise him in the sanctuary, and I'll praise him among the nations. Sometimes I'm very thankful that I sit in the front row here. Even though every now and then I kind of look around, not very often, though. During praise and worship, I'm usually praising and worshiping. Unless, you know, something occurs to me, I believe often God lays something on me, and I just I want to scribble something down that I'm hearing in a song or something I remember about the message I'm going to preach that a song reminds me of, whatever. My mind's on Jesus during praise and worship. But I have conversations with praise and worship leaders here, in youth group, and in other churches. I can tell you it can be a pretty distressing thing to look out onto a congregation that is going through the motions of praise and worship. Like, man, where's your heart? Why isn't this welling up out of you? And I understand, believe me, I you know me. <laughs> you know what kind of guy I am. I'm pretty laid back. So I'm not saying, man, you need to be jumping up and screaming and everything else. I understand there are different personalities. And so everybody's expression isn't going to be the same. I do want you to understand, though, that when David wrote this, he didn't say, I can't help it. I just have to praise him. No, what he said is, I will. I will praise him. It is an act of your will, and it is absolutely something he's worthy of. So don't hold back. And don't let the devil tell you, ah, you're just faking it. No, you're giving him what he's due. He didn't say, I will feel like it. He said, I will. I'll sing his praises. I'll make his praises known. I'll do it no matter what I feel like because he's God and he deserves it. But praise the Lord for that new and better covenant we're under. Man, if you want to be a part of that covenant and you're not already, I'm looking around. I think everybody is, just in case. Man, this God who makes these good promises, who promises deliverance from all of that, who promises victory in all that wants to be your father, wants you in his family, wants to be your savior. And if you've never made the decision to accept the finished work of Jesus Christ as payment for your sin, to accept that invitation into God's family, do that tonight. We're going to sing a song here. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. When I, when I start singing, or when we start singing, you come up here and let me pray for you. All right? Love to pray that prayer of salvation with you. If, uh, if you need to get some stuff, you need to de- uh, do some business with God, confess some things, get stuff right, man, the altars are open. Be glad to pray with you about that too. If you just need to get serious, rededicate. If you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, man, that's where the power is. <laughs> Don't try to do this without Him. I'll pray with you about any of those things. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you so much for the assurance that you are a God who loves us, who provides for us, who assures us of the victory. 
uh, thank you, God, that we can trust you even when we don't understand what's going on. We love you, Lord, for that. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you do grant us understanding, uh, that, you, uh, that you enlighten us and show us where things are wrong, what things need to be adjusted. But we thank you, Lord, that we can trust you just quietly, peacefully trust you no matter what's going on in our lives. I pray, Lord, now that if there's anybody who doesn't know you, that they come to know you tonight. That Holy Spirit, you would convict of sin as only you can and grant them the wisdom the faith, the courage, and the humility, whatever they need to come and receive that free gift of eternal life tonight. And I pray, Lord God, that you convict hearts, uh, convict all of us, Lord. Just jerk the slack out of us and show us where we need to tighten things up and, uh, and, and make corrections in our lives so that we can continue to be molded in the image of your Son and be the people you've called us to be so that we can do everything you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.